We're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Jesus tells this story. It is known in English as the parable of the Good Samaritan, in order that we might go and do likewise. Jesus is clarifying here what it means to love our neighbour. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel are commanded, given by God, two commands. The command to love him and put him first. But they're also commanded to love their neighbour. And in the commandment in the Old Testament, the neighbour is specifically described as the alien and the stranger living among them. And they're told to love their neighbour as themselves. In other words, it's a command to love the other person, the stranger, as if they were one of your own, as if they were Nashi. Elsewhere, Jesus teaches that we're to do to others as we would have them do to us. And here Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and tells us to go and do likewise. It is a story of a person in very obvious, clear need. He has been beaten up and he is nearly dead. But, and I found this very helpful in reflecting on this, it is the Good Samaritan who comes across the man who is beaten up. It is not the beaten up man who comes to the Samaritan and asks for help. I say that because as a Christian minister, I have many people coming to me and asking for help. They assume that because I am a minister, then I will help them. The problem is that there are too many people who come for help, and I do not have the time or the resources or the energy to help all who come. And that means one of two things happen. Either I say no and I become hard and cold, or alternatively, I read The Good Samaritan, and I think that I should be doing something for everyone. I'm driven by guilt, and I end up exhausted and crushed. And I've seen many ministries destroyed because people felt that they had to meet every need that came to them. But I noticed that Jesus doesn't meet every person in need who comes to him. On one occasion, Jesus has been preaching and healing. He goes away. Another crowd, a big crowd comes of people who want healing. The disciples come to him and say, Jesus, there's a whole crowd, they've come to you. They need healing. Go down uh, and heal them. And Jesus says, no. He says, I've got to go on to the next town where I will preach there because that is what I have called, been called to do there would have been a lot of very disappointed people. The Good Samaritan is not a story for someone in what we call a caring profession to say to them that they have to help everyone in need who comes to them. Rather, it's a story for all of us about how we should behave to people, to strangers who we happen to meet in our everyday life 
not who come to us, but who we come across, where there is obviously very, very serious need. I remember with great shame one occasion when I could have been the Good Samaritan. I was coming out of my church in London. We were situated in the middle of a park, and often in that park we had lots of generally older men who were quite heavy drinkers. And I saw a young man go up to one of the older men sitting on a park bench and gratuitously start beating him up. I know what the Good Samaritan would have done. I went back into the church, locked the door, and at a safe distance called the police. So what is Jesus calling us to do? First of all, he's calling us to see the person in need as a person like yourself. I'm not talking about physical seeing. The priest and the Levite saw the man in need. We know that because they passed by on the other side. They deliberately went out of their way to avoid him. They saw him, but they did not really see him, see him as a person. They saw him as a problem, an inconvenience, maybe as a decoy, maybe as someone who deserved what he had got. Maybe they saw him as something to be avoided. They didn't see him as a person. They didn't see him as themselves. But the Samaritan saw the person beaten up, and he saw a person He saw someone who was like him. That was remarkable, because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And the man who was beaten up was almost certainly a Jew. The Samaritan could easily have seen this Jew as someone who he despised, as an enemy, and walked by on the other side, but he didn't. He saw him as a person and he loved him as he loved himself. We need to pray that God, in his love for us, will help us to see other people who we come across, who are in need, not just as problems or as strangers for whom we have no responsibility, or as potential enemies, but as like us. We need to pray that we can see beyond the things that divide us, the walls that we build up between male and female, black and white, Christian, Muslim, Western, Russian, Jew, Gentile, cultured, non-cultured, so that we see the other, especially the other in need, as a person who is like me. There's an amazing story told of the First World War, how on Christmas Day, and this is very, very well documented, how on Christmas Day, soldiers who had been shooting each other gunning each other down with machine guns, suddenly stopped when some Germans got up and started to come across the trenches, waving a white flag and singing a Christmas carol. And they were met by the Allied troops coming from the other side. And they met and they played not just one, but quite a few football matches along the front on that day and they suddenly saw each other as persons. 
as human beings. We need to pray that God will help us to see the other person as someone who was created in the image and likeness of God, that somewhere deep within her or him there is the image of Christ, that in one sense we are all children of God and in another deeper sense we are all potentially, we can all called to potentially become members of the same eternal family with a heavenly father calling each other our brother and sister. And Jesus is calling us to have compassion and pity. The word used in this story for showing pity is a big word. The root of the word, verb is the Greek word splagnon. Forgive me if you speak Greek. <laughs> it means the chief intestine, the gut. It means to be emotionally moved in your guts by pity or compassion. It is the word used to describe how Jesus felt when he saw the crowds who were, he said, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's the word used to describe how Jesus felt when he saw the widow standing beside the coffin of her only son, her only protector, and weeping. Love of neighbour is not simply a dry, sense-of-duty kind of love. It can come from here, but I would see, go a bit further and say that at least a tiny spark has to come from here. If what we do for others is always out of a sense of duty or guilt, or is motivated by what others think of us, or by what we think a good boy or a good girl should be, then our service of others will become resentful and grudging. We will again cease to treat the other as ourselves and simply as a case. It was very hard for my father when he was in hospital for the last time and seriously ill with multiple conditions. Nobody could really do anything for him. The staff did their best, but they were overwhelmed by the need on the hospital ward, by fear of making mistakes, and by lack of time. These were good people, but the only way that they could survive was not to treat my father as an individual, but as a case. It's very easy to become cold and hard and to be overwhelmed by the problems that we see around us. If we're doing this from our own resources, we will quickly suffer from what is called compassion fatigue and the danger. And we see it so often in people who give of themselves so much is that if we are not driven by a divine compassion, by a divine love, then we will either end up doing things that we should not be doing. Do you know, it is actually okay to say no, even if they won't like you when you say no. <laughs> or we will end up exhausted and weary. We will suffer from compassion fatigue. We will either give up or we will crash. So where does this compassion come from? this love come from. It's very important to remember that the first commandment is the command to love God 
and then to love our neighbour. Next week, Mike is going to be preaching on the passage that comes straight after this. And it is really, really significant that it comes straight after this. He can explain. (laughs) It's only when we put God first, come to him, receive his life for us and ask him to fill us with his love for the people he has created, that we can begin to love others as we are called to do so. It is only when we spend time with Jesus and receive his love that we can begin to love. That's why it is so important if we're to love with compassion that we first spend time with God. And thirdly, Jesus is calling us to lift the other person up. The good Samaritan goes to the beaten up man, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on the wounds, it's a sort of antiseptic, puts him on a donkey, takes him to an inn, a safe place where he pays for him. It is costly love. It involves an element of risk. The Samaritan didn't know if the robbers were still in the region. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious. It meant he had to change his immediate plans. No doubt he was looking forward to finally getting home after a few days away, being with his family, putting his feet up. But all that had to change. It cost him effort and time and money. And we see how his love is focused on the need of the other. He's not doing anything here to get something for himself. It's about bringing healing and restoration to the other. Love is practical. It lifts up the person who is in need. It's about defending the weak and vulnerable. It's about using the list Jesus gave, giving a drink to the person who is thirsty, clothing the naked. That would be my vision for the lavachka. That's really what it's ultimately about. It's about feeding the hungry, visiting the person in prison, caring for the sick, welcoming the stranger. Jesus gives us the example of the Good Samaritan and tells us to go and do likewise. But of course, Jesus is himself the greatest example of what it means to love. And we, you and me, are the greatest examples of what it means to have been loved. Many of the earliest Christian thinkers and preachers saw the parable of the Good Samaritan as a picture of what Jesus has done for us. I came across this remarkable icon of the Good Samaritan by uh, an American icon painter, icon writer called Michael Kapeluk. It tells the story. Don't know how well you can see, but here is the man being beaten up. Here is his robe, and then if you look at the bottom, you see him almost dead with his robe stripped from him. Here are the Levite and the priest walking by on the other side. Here we have the Good Samaritan anointing the man who is almost dead. And here we have him taking the Good Samaritan to the hostel and paying the money for him. 
But you may have realised the person who has written this icon has made a few changes. First of all, the robbers are demons. The man being beaten up is Adam, but he's also you and me. The demons have lied to us. They've captured us. They strip us of our dignity and they make us slaves of sin and death. The priests and the Levites, well, they may represent the old religion. They may represent religion generally. They may represent money and power and status. And they walk by on the other side when they see the person in need. And the figure, as you probably saw, who rescues the man is the figure of Christ. He's wearing the halo. He's above it is written Jesus Christos, just to make sure you know. <laughs> and uh, he is anointing with the oil there the man who is beaten up, who's almost dead. And for those of you who know icons, you will realise that the way that Jesus is represented here is very similar to the resurrection, to the icon of the resurrection, where he lifts up Adam, his hand under Adam's hand pulling him up, and his robes flowing from the back. I don't think that is coincidental in this particular icon. But the most obvious change comes in the centre of this icon. The story tells us that the Samaritan places the beaten-up man on the donkey. The icon has Christ carrying us on his back. Indeed, more than that, the way that the man hanging means that he and Christ are completely identified and that his beaten back becomes Christ's back. The Lord Jesus saw us in our need. He had compassion on us. Psalm 25, the theme of God's steadfast love and mercy, weave their way through that psalm. And he came to us, and at great cost to himself, at the cost of nails through his hands and stripes on his back, he lifts us up. And he carries us, and he brings us to a safe place. And so, as people who have received the love of Christ, who have been raised up by him, we are called to go and do likewise. One final point from this reading. You may notice that the, 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 the lawyer asks Jesus two questions. He asks him the question, what must I do to receive eternal life? And who is my neighbour? You will notice that Jesus answers his questions, but doesn't quite answer his questions. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what's the law? And Jesus says, that's right, do this and you will live. 
you will live now. And secondly, he says, who is my neighbour? And Jesus, at the end, says to him, and who was the neighbour of the man who was beaten up? Not who is my neighbour, but who can I become a neighbour to? When we do step out and do likewise, when we unlock the doors of the church and go out and defend the person who is weak and vulnerable, when we do likewise to someone we come across in need, we gain a neighbour and we begin to live. Father God, by your grace, by your strength, by your mercy, fill us with your love and with your compassion. Help us to see our neighbour as ourselves and help us to go and do likewise. Be filled with your compassion. Amen.